1: The Waco History Podcast is sponsored by Brotherwell Brewery on Historic Bridge Street in Waco.
2: Cross the Brazos and Waco, ride hard and I'll make it by dawn. Cross the Brazos and Waco, I'm safe when I reach San Antonio.
1: All right, welcome back to the uh, Waco History Podcast. My guest today is an old friend of the program. Uh, We had him on, oh, it's been almost a couple of years ago now, Uh, but uh, Dr. Michael T. Parrish, who is the Lyndon G. Bowers Professor of American History at Baylor University. uh, I would recommend uh, to you to listen to his uh, podcast episode on Doris Miller uh, if you have not listened uh, to that one. Uh, But he is an expert uh, on Texas history. I actually met uh, you, uh, Mike. I'll call you Mike. uh, We're colleagues. Um, I met you at the LBJ Library in in your time working at the LBJ Library back in the 90s.
0: That's right. Yeah, that seems like a long time ago. (laughs) Well, it was. (laughs) It it, (laughs) it it was. It does because it is. Yeah.
1: So I I accosted you uh, one afternoon on campus. I saw you walking across campus, and I I said at some point I wanted to talk to you about an opportunity, that's in air quotes, an opportunity that you had last year. Uh, In June 2020, uh, the Regents of Baylor University uh, commissioned this, and I want to get the name right, the the Baylor Commission on Historic Representation, to look into a series of issues on ways in which um, there are uh, historic representations on campus. Uh, I think is the broad... You know, I've got the guiding principles here I'll read in just a minute, so that'll do the framework for it. But uh, in essence, one of the key things it was looking at is uh, Baylor University's relationship to slavery. Um, you, you don't You don't get to Baylor Long... You're not at Baylor Long before they talk about being founded by the Republic of Texas. And of course, if they were founded by the Republic of Texas, that dates them to a period in which uh, Texas is a slave state, not a, not a state yet, but a slave republic at that point. And I know long before this commission was set to work by the regents, we had had discussions uh, about uh, your research in this area and uh, you knowing this was a something Baylor needed to deal with that they had not talked about. And so I, I don't know if you could talk just a little bit before we get into the commission's work <coughs> about why you became interested in that. And I know you're a Baylor guy. I'm a Baylor guy, mm-hmm. deep, deep Baylor roots on your end. But why was this something that you thought was important that people began to look at and understand?
0: Well, um, I'm very, very interested in Texas history, Um from a Southern standpoint, um, interpreting and teaching about Texas history and Texas as a, uh, as you described it, a slave republic and then a slave state. I like to tell my students that um, Texas will always, always be more like Mississippi than California. And um, of course, there's a lot of cultural and certainly traditional resistance to that notion. Texans like to con- consider themselves unique in many respects, but um, if they were pushed to tell you whether or not uh, Texas has been and, and, and is a, a western or southwestern state or a southern state, they would say, well, of course, western, southwestern. Cowboys, Indians, boots, saddles, um, et cetera. And so uh, my teaching of, of Texas history um, in a determined way uh, focused on interpreting uh, Texas as, as very much a southern place. Mm-hmm. Certainly in the 19th century, it, it was um, far more a southern place than, than anything else. And uh, in my graduate uh, seminar on public history around seven, eight, nine years ago, in fact, over a period of several years in succession, I instructed my students to to look at, at Baylor history. And so um, at the time, the Baylor libraries had made a, a serious commitment. Uh, Tom Charlton, mm-hmm. uh, your predecessor in the Institute for Oral History, had, had really decided to create a connection between Baylor, the, uh, the new Baylor, Baylor at Waco and the old Baylor, Baylor at Independence. And so he became acquainted with uh, members of the community down there and worked with the Baylor libraries to establish a, a formal program mm-hmm. that would allow for uh, the interpretation presentation, interpretation of Baylor's history at, at Independence through bringing students, freshman students, mm-hmm. during so-called line camp in buses uh, in large numbers down to Independence and having them tour the, the grounds of the old campus, the actual the, the, the male campus and the female campus there. And to meet Independence Baptist Church And to have dinner and just have a really, really great kind of feel-good experience Mm -hmm. about Baylor. Yeah,
1: it was a bit of a pep rally. It was a pep
0: rally, no doubt about it. No mention whatsoever was made. uh, The the reality of of slavery and the great importance of of slavery to the success of, of early Baylor. And so I just wanted to... Try to come to grips with a broader and deeper and more accurate, fuller picture of the um, early history of Baylor in a in a very very heavily southern, very heavily slaveholding context. Mm-hmm. And so I took my my, my graduate students, uh, not in buses, but in you know a big SUV down to. Uh, to independence, and we met with people there who were very cordial, very helpful, very receptive, and we I- experienced the tour, so to speak, that, that Baylor freshmen take, but we experienced it in a different way. Uh, we ex- ex- experienced it in a more professional, more thorough, more analytical, certainly a more critical way, and mm-hmm. that we brought slaveholding, we brought slavery, the institution of slavery, masters and slave mistresses and slaves, to the forefront. Mm-hmm. My my graduate students seemed to enjoy that. And so it resulted in a small symposium uh, about five or six years ago uh, over at the Armstrong Browning Library, in which my, my students uh, gave formal papers, presentations, based upon not only their experiences at independence, but also in doing solid research mm-hmm in the Baylor Texas collection and in other other collections around the state and so those essays those those presentations really did allow us to get a grip on a much much fuller certainly more scholarly mm-hmm. history of baylor and so i began to talk with members of the administration at the time there i won't say there was pushback mm-hmm. but there was a reluctance mm-hmm. to take on, you know, the hard, hard, difficult history, which many, maybe even a great majority of Baylor alumni, Baylor constituencies of all kinds, Baylor, other Baylor faculty members and administrators had no idea mm-hmm. about. They were yeah. just un- uh, c- completely unaware of. Basically what happened was nothing. Yeah. It took the tragic killing of George Floyd and really the the uprising and the reaction and all the controversy surrounding the reinvigorated Black Lives Matter movement mm-hmm. for the administration together with the regents to make a decision and a very, very courageous commitment to trying to do the right thing in taking responsibility for a much fuller much more critical approach to Baylor's history. Mm-hmm. And so that's where we are now. Yeah.
1: It, the, the sense I got, again, as a longtime mm-hmm. Baylor person, is one of the reasons why it wasn't interpreted in Waco is they kind of punted on the issue because it was, that was an independent story, mm-hmm. but we're in Waco now, mm-hmm. which is a flimsy rationale mm-hmm. to not, not deal with the issue
0: yeah it it's it's certainly evasive yeah thank goodness we've we've reached a point yeah. now where we're you know willing to accept responsibility and to take action to take positive action. I've looked at this entire problem this entire challenge as an opportunity mm-hmm. an opportunity to move forward in dramatic ways and to put Baylor at the forefront not only institutional action, uh, institutional action as a university, but action as a religious institution, action collectively as uh, an institution committed to our Christian faith, and to not only talk the talk but walk the walk. We we do have a framework
1: for confession yeah. that we ought to be able to rely upon that, yeah.
0: that other institutions wouldn't necessarily.
1: Yeah. Have. yeah. 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 So so you saw it. Because of Baylor's mission, especially important mm-hmm. that it be looked at.
3: hmm mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. yeah. Um, can you, I've, I've read the report. Most people listening to this have not, will not read the report or have not read the report. I, I mean, one thing that's useful to do that I know you can do off the top of your head is talk a little bit, and, and there are other issues I want to talk about with regard to people of color, but particularly uh-huh. with regard to slavery, you made the statement about the founding mm-hmm. and, and how it's interwoven in Baylor's founding. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us a little
0: bit more about what you mean when you say that? Well, Baylor would not have existed. It it would not have been even contemplated at the time to establish an institution like Baylor, which, by the way, became most important uh, very quickly institution of higher learning in Texas and arguably anywhere west of the Mississippi during the 1850s before the Civil War, which began in 1861, the resources necessary Mm -hmm. to establish uh, an institution and to sustain it, sustain it through the 1850s and then certainly during the difficulties of the Civil War and after the Civil War, it, it would have been impossible. Yeah. Without benefactors who were willing, you know very, very generously to come forward and provide funding for the construction of the campus at, at Independence, for uh, the purchase of of books and materials of all kinds and supplies to instruct students and to pay for uh, the salaries of, of faculty members and administrators, it would have been impossible without slavery. Now, you can say the same thing about institutions of all kinds. Mm-hmm at every level of society throughout the slaveholding south mm-hmm. at this time this yeah. is how this is how people succeeded slavery represented if not a reality in producing wealth it represented an ambition for student, people who were not slaveholders yeah. this was the way to to wealth the way to success growing cotton growing sugarcane growing other crops uh, you know developing herds of livestock cattle hogs all kinds of of animals to make money and to to survive slavery was the principal source of labor cheap labor and we can we can talk about cheap labor being absolutely necessary to the success of the United States from the very beginning all the way up to the present day and mm-hmm. of course slavery was the cheapest labor of all yeah and it was highly productive because it was a it was a labor produced by, by force, or at the very least, the threat of force. And Baptists and Presbyterians and Methodists and Episcopalians, evangelicals at the time, were perfectly willing and, and determined to take advantage of the opportunity to gain wealth and, and to create productivity. And to advance society, advance the economy, advance what they called civilization, Anglo civilization, mm-hmm. through through using slave labor. Yeah. You know, from our perspective, unfortunately, they developed a heavily religiously based pro-slavery apology, which was not apologetic at all in the way we think about it. Mm-hmm. It was justification for slavery. They considered black people. People of color generally in the United States and all over the world to be inferior, to be created by God as inferior. Mm-hmm. And they talked about a hierarchy of races. And of course, at the very bottom, the rock bottom of that hierarchy, you know, were so called African people from the dark continent who were, you know, more inferior than anyone else. And so because of racial inferiority, because they believed that the Bible sanctioned slavery, the curse of Ham being you know, the most promi- prominent example, uh, slavery in the ancient world. But at the same time, they, they thought of themselves as the pinnacle representing and in practicing and in, in advancing the pinnacle of democracy in Western civilization. They saw a straight line from ancient Greece to the old south. They believed that a slave holding democracy was the best democracy at all. Because democracy demanded cheap labor. Mm -hmm. Someone had to do the dirty work. And so slaves were there to provide the labor necessary for society, for the economy, for all aspects of of cultural life and certainly education to succeed. Mm Uh, and there were many, many other justifications, paternalism, mm-hmm. which was you know heavily religiously based as well. Yeah. an yeah. obligation, a kind of burden, a responsibility to provide not only for one's family in, in a patriarchal society, but also for one's slaves, you know, to provide a secure life for for one's slaves from cradle to grave. Mm-hmm. And there was a lot of truth in that. You know, the slaveholding masters had a great sense of responsibility, and there were there were lots of other reasons as well. I mm-hmm. mean, you know, human beings are great at, at rationalizing. Yeah. But yeah. Baylor, Baylor's founding depended very 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 heavily. It was absolutely essential upon slavery.
1: I think you, I think the report points out, of course, Baylor was a slaveholder. Uh, Huckins and Tryon were slaveholders. 11 out of the first 15 mm-hmm. board, of, uh, board of trustees or so yep. like the first four presidents I mean you can go on yeah. and on yeah besides the numerous benefactors as you mentioned unnamed benefactors that mm-hmm. either sent their tuition dollars or mm-hmm. their their donations to Baylor to get it started mm-hmm. and some in the name of of their faith uh, in support of the Baptist mission Mm-hmm. That they saw Baylor accomplishing, mm-hmm. and so that's right, that's right you know i i don't want to- I don't want to create whiplash for you here, but but you fast forward to twenty twenty and you begin to think as a historian, again, you're a historian in all circles, so you can't take that hat off as you look back and you're participating on this commission to begin to think about what do we do mm-hmm. you know what do we do with this? Mm-hmm. you know you understand the importance of history and of understanding the history of these southern places, and I know you're someone who appreciates looking at the complexity of history. We don't want to paint it mm-hmm. with just a broad brush.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: But, I mean, as you're entering into this work, okay, we're ready to look at it. I mean, mm-hmm. w- what aspirations did you have as far as things that you would hope to have seen done mm-hmm. from a historian's perspective?
0: Yeah, that's a great question. I was very, very ambivalent, and I, and I still am. Uh, The word complexity comes immediately to mind, not not just because you and I are historians. Mm -hmm. We love complexity. But I am not strongly in favor of altering the landscape of historic monuments and statues and interpretive markers. Well,
1: this is a hot topic in your field, right? Yeah. Much bigger than Baylor's story. Yeah,
0: yeah. What I am in, in favor of is reinterpreting them. Yeah. Creating signage, asking questions, providing a, a fuller slate of information, you know, much like a, a museum would do. Uh, present the facts and challenge the viewer, challenge challenge the reader, but, but let him or her, gain the knowledge necessary to to make a critical judgment and and challenge challenge someone looking at a memorial, a statue, a, a plaque, a whatever, to continue thinking, to continue asking questions mm-hmm. and to contextualize those historical representations in a, in a larger larger journey a life journey of looking at life of looking at, at at history in the context of the past and the present and the future i'm getting really abstract here i'm not a big fan of taking down statues mm-hmm. and 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 altering the landscape of of historical represent, representation and so you know i went into the the work of of the commission with you know with significant ambivalence mm-hmm. you know wondering what would happen yeah and it very very quickly dawned on me stephen that what i needed to do was to put myself in the shoes as much as possible put myself in the shoes of the other guy yeah Put myself in the shoes of our african American colleagues, our african American students, mm-hmm. our african American graduates, alumni, our African American regents and administrators and and listen to them and and try to understand and appreciate their this is the word that came up over and over again pain mm-hmm. yeah. their pain at First of all, recognizing the true history of Baylor, uh, the true history of Texas as a as a Southern place in the 19th century, a- and and their pain over looking at the statue of Judge Baylor, the statue of Rufus Burleson. I
1: mean, how many times have we walked past that statue <gasps> yeah. and it's yeah. been a neutral, non-event? Oh, yeah. There's no oh, yeah. there's no yeah. power representation. Well, no, that would absolutely not.
0: Yeah. It's because, you know, being white is, you know, the neutral default mm-hmm. uh, identity.
1: Yeah, and particularly Baylor, which has been very white through most of its history. Yeah. No
0: question about yeah. it. Yeah. And and still is, mm-hmm. you know, for the most part. You know these things already, right? But when you confront them and talk about them one-on-one or in a group or in a small committee with our, our African-American mm-hmm friends and colleagues and students looking, looking at one another, looking at me and asking you know, for my reaction, that's very difficult. Mm-hmm. That, that, that really makes it real, concrete. It forces to try to imagine what it's like to be a black person. First of all, try to imagine what it, it was like to be black Uh, Before the Civil War, in the Cotton South, in Washington County, Texas, because I would have been a slave. Texas really uh, did a kind of racial cleansing uh, of the state before the Civil War by ridding it of free African Americans, making a living as a free African American. And there were about a quarter of a million in the South at the time concentrated in New Orleans and Mobile and you know, Richmond and, and other uh, major cities where Afri- free African-Americans had lived and worked for, for many decades. But Texas said, no, we're not yeah. going to allow free blacks because they're a bad example to our slaves. Texans tended to be very, very worried about the security of slavery because Texas was an, had an international border with Mexico yeah. and a long history. Mm-hmm. of Mexicans threatening the legality and, and the security of slavery. Mm-hmm. Um, at the same time, Texas did a kind of racial cleansing of Tejano's during the 1840s and 1850s, forcing them out of, out of counties like Washington County and pushing them down into South Texas or across the border. And, of cer- and certainly, of course, there was the so-called Indian problem uh, particularly Comanche Indi- Indians, threatening the security of slavery. And there were Germans who were unionists uh, and opposed to slavery out in the hill country. And so when slaves ran away in Texas, they didn't go north seeking uh, freedom in, uh, above the Mason-Dixon line. They went south. They went south to to Mexico. And they they got help from... Tejanos and Mm -hmm. from Indians and from Germans in the hill country, and so Texans saw a kind of massive conspiracy against slavery. You know, being uh, having an international border, being a frontier state with an Indian problem, and and so they they were determined to to hold on to, to slavery to keep it secure. Slave patrols ran through through. Every slaveholding county of, of Texas, including Washington County, on a regular basis. And um, um, Texans, white Texans, were heavily armed all the time. And so, um, uh, th- you know, th- this helps us understand the, the broader and, de- and deeper, deeper context of slaveholding. In in Texas at the time,
1: yeah, I think uh, look, Washington County was about half the population was slave in yeah. 1850 or yeah. so, and yeah. and and I didn't see any record of free that there were any freedmen,
0: no, or women, no. In yeah. Washington, Washington County had about 15,000 people. Now that may not sound like a lot to us, but it was one of the most populous mm. in Texas, and it was growing rapidly. It, the The Brazos River Valley um, was a very very productive. Um, cotton growing region. Massive profits were made all up and down the Brazos River Valley. It was a ref- it was referred to as the Mississippi River of Texas. Mm-hmm. And uh, of course, um, you know, Texas during the 19th century was settled by uh, people from the south, especially from the deep south. Nearly all of the the Baylor founders and benefactors um had come from the deep south or had had roots in the deep south in in slave um societies, slaveholding families and so yes indeed, slavery was every everywhere yeah. Pe- people were surrounded about by slavery, but they were worried about mm-hmm. slavery's security. It helps explain the you know the coming of the civil war uh the reaction uh by the slaveholding South, the Deep South, against the election of Abraham Lincoln, mm-hmm. an alleged abolitionist. He wasn't, yeah. but <laughs> people in the in the Deep South believed that he was, mm-hmm. and that you know, first and foremost, he would send troops into the South to invade and create disruption and in- enslave slave insurrection and destroy slavery.
1: Well, as you said before, they sensed their power was waning. In well by the 1860 election. Yeah.
0: yeah. Oh my goodness. Yeah. They were very worried. But you know it's dawned on me in doing this research and looking at primary sources that more than being worried they were angry. Yeah. And they were determined. Yeah. And very confident that if a conflict came and that the president and then if, if if the preservation of slavery were at stake, they would win. And then it w- was a zero-sum game. They described it uh, like they described uh, fighting Indians or uh, the demise of the buffalo. You know, if, bl- if black people want a bloody insurrection, we will react with vengeance mm-hmm. and with death. Um, they won't survive. Yeah. And, and so, um, and it, as
1: you said before, using uh, all elements to justify their cause, uh, including yeah. their faith. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. One yeah. thing I neglected to mention with regard to faith was that they justified slavery by saying we're Christianizing our slaves, uh, we're we're lifting them up, we're civilizing them, we're providing them the opportunity to become Christians, and their intent was benevolent to a degree they believed that it was their responsibility to christianize the world they were great great missionaries to all parts of the world they believed that they needed to convert the heathen abroad and at home and so so they they viewed their slaves as a kind of mission field mm-hmm. but they also believed that by Christianizing them they could make them better slaves, that they could bring them under control in, in, a, in, in a more complete way mm-hmm. without having to use force necessarily. Yeah. They were certainly willing to use force. Baptists and other evangelicals were uh, certainly willing to use force, but they hoped by Christianizing them that they could control them, where, whereas slaves had a different agenda. They accepted the Christian faith, but they didn't believe in or practice the faith of their masters. They created their own brand of Christianity. They incorporated a lot of beliefs and practices from religious traditions, uh, you know, brought over from Africa. Mm -hmm. And they, you know, they preached to themselves uh, in secret a a theology of liberation. Uh, they compared themselves to the children of Israel. Yeah. Um, and they believed in a day of jubilee. And when, with the, the Civil War approaching, obviously, I mean, the sla- slaves could see it coming. Uh, they saw it as an opportunity mm-hmm. to gain their freedom and with their freedom, full equality mm-hmm. as as citizens.
1: Yeah. Well, I, uh, I want to fast forward again a bit because mm-hmm. I'm interested you sitting in the room on this commission and you begin to hear these stories, Mm. you're someone who, I I would think of everyone in the room, if we're gonna talk about 19th century Texas, (laughs) you know the history. Mm. So you you don't have to have someone inform you of the history. But as you begin to hear these stories of the meaning or the impact of some of these representations What what is your reaction? Because I, I know this goes on for a series yeah. of months as y'all are meeting and talking about it. Impact on you?
0: Yeah, yeah. It was hard. It 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 became personal. Every every meeting was very difficult for me, because I could see how difficult it was for others. Um, particularly the the African American members of the committee, mm-hmm. and and, uh, at least half or more of the members of the committee were 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 black, mm-hmm. and they. Uh, represented, um, you know, regents, um, faculty members, um, uh, certainly students. Um, and listening to them, and, and listening to them express, and I'll use that word again, their pain. Mm-hmm. So, first of all, their shock, and their surprise, because if you go on the, the Vader website, you don't see any of this. Yeah. Um, they had no idea um and so it was a learning experience for them that was very very painful certainly disappointing but i could see how they were affected and how how they in in some way grieved about this um and it it was almost you know, to the point that every time we would meet, you know, every every couple of weeks during the fall semester, that process was was in play. Yeah. That that just oh, you know, that disorientation. Um you know, and and watching that that happen mm-hmm. was very, very difficult for me. I'm a I'm a historian who likes to maintain a certain degree of detachment. Yeah. I don't like to become too emotional. But it was impossible. It so also seems,
1: Mike, I mean, I've talked to individuals at Baylor that talk about being aware of their blackness in mm-hmm. different spheres at Baylor mm-hmm. as they go through their Baylor experience. Mm-hmm. This sounds like a space where you became very aware of your whiteness. Oh, yeah. and
0: Oh, yeah. Oh, no doubt about it. No doubt about it. Um, for the first time, I asked myself the question, who are you? Mm-hmm. And being white was at the very top. Mm-hmm. If, if I were pressed to define who I am as a person, my whiteness is number one now. Mm-hmm. And my maleness is right there mm-hmm. along with my whiteness. Yeah. And so that means um self identifying as someone who is who is privileged and who has authority and indeed power of the kind that most other people in our in our society in in all aspects of life most other people just don't have mm-hmm. and i up until this experience I'd never really even thought about it yeah. very much. Yeah. Sure I'm white. Sure I'm I'm a male. Big deal. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, what difference does it make? Um, you're just as good as I am. Well, is that true in life? In 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 the way things play out in our society, in our economy, in our in our institutions? Um, is it, is it true? You're just as good when you walk into a public place, if you're a person of color, color, are you treated in the same way that I'm treated as a white male? No, mm-hmm. you aren't, mm-hmm. you know, you're yeah. treated differently. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, and I could go on, um, you know, with regard to wealth. Yeah. Yeah you know, yeah, there's a whole class issue here yeah, as well. Yeah, but yeah. 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 I mean, you know, when you, you talk about race, gender, and class though, mm-hmm. you know, and it, it used to be, you know, if I'm a Baptist, <laughs> you know, r- race, gender, class, and religion, mm-hmm. you know, if I'm a Baptist then, you know, I've hit a grand slam, mm-hmm. you know, all I, all I all I all I need to do is just, you know, walk around the bases and declare victory. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not so much that way anymore for Baptists, but um, you know. So th- I mean, that's a, that's a great question, mm-hmm. and I, I've thought about that a lot. And I encourage our listeners to to try to try to do the same. You know, yeah. who, who are you?
1: Yeah, it's who are you? I think it's important to re- re- reflect yeah. on and yeah. and if you can depoliticize it and ju- and just yeah. take a second and be a little yeah. introspective about it, yeah. it,
0: it. I think it's very
1: valuable. Yeah. I always think seeing. Yeah, trying to understand yourself and trying yeah. to understand other people's perspective—we can't do enough of that. But Talk
0: and, t- and let, me, let me say this: Yeah, one other thing that I've I've come to to realize is that what we need to do in life, certainly in history, is avoid the temptation to be proud. Mm. To you know, with regard to history, avoid the temptation to say, "I'm really proud of my ancestors." You know with, without killing your self-esteem, right? Or I'm really proud of what Texans did at the Alamo. or I'm really you know, when you go to a historic site or you read a book, avoid the temptation to be proud. So tell tell me why um, that's fraught. Tell me tell me why that's fraught because it's so. one-dimensional. and it doesn't challenge you. Mm-hmm. It doesn't challenge you to take a critical view of history. And it encourages you to avoid taking a critical view of yourself and and of life in general. It it oversimplifies Mm -hmm. things. Yeah, you know, it reduces history Mm -hmm. and many, many other aspects of life to a kind of entertainment,
1: kind of a bumper sticker. Yeah, Yeah.
0: entertainment Mm -hmm. or, or, or just, you know, being simply informed or educated or inspired. Right. And there's nothing wrong with all of those things. But, you know, my opinion is is that we should avoid the temptation to be proud, because for for one thing, it's unbiblical. Uh yeah. G- we G- got a
1: framework for that too. Yeah. G- Jesus
0: was not motivated by pride. <laughs> it's
1: the original sin. Yeah. yeah,
0: yeah. And and one of the things about the the early Baylor founders, um, and we can name names if you want to. Sure. Uh, Rufus Burleson yeah. um, is a great example of uh, someone who's who was extremely proud, and you know when I first came came to the realization that that, that Rufus Burleson was extremely proud, I had to I had to stop myself. Because I realized that I was becoming proud of identifying Rufus Burleson as being proud. (laughs) You see what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. 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 It it made me feel good to accuse Rufus Burleson. of. So I stopped myself and said, no, no, you can't do that. And more than that, I had to ask myself, well, what would Rufus Burleson say if he were here today? And if he were to learn and be shocked by the fact that the commission had put forth a possible recommendation that his statue on Burleson Quadrangle and the name Burleson Quadrangle itself, be be removed and uh, put somewhere else on campus, Mm -hmm. perhaps over at the Mayborn Museum. What would Rufus Burleson say? And I think that one thing he might say is, well, wait a minute, you know, why are you here? How did you get here? Why is Baylor here? Why did Baylor succeed in those early years? And why did it continue to succeed throughout the rest of the 19th century on into the 20th century to become um, a highly successful, prominent institution today? Well, in part, seriously, it's because of me. Because of Rufus Burleson. Because of Rufus Burleson. And he could easily say more than that. He could say, I did this. Yeah. We did this for you. We certainly did it for ourselves and our children. But we, but more than that, we were thinking about the future when we did this. Now that's complex. It's 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 even ironic. Yeah, when you think about um, the good and the bad together. Yeah, as Robert Penn Warren said, they flow into one another. And out of one another. And the more I thought about it, that's certainly biblical. You know, God using evil, apparent evil, for good. Now, that doesn't justify slavery, not by any stretch. Yeah. We still need to hold the founders and early leaders of Baylor and the benefactors responsible for uh, the monstrous crime mm-hmm. of slavery, uh, America's original sin. But we need to recognize the complexity and the irony and the even the contradictions of yeah. history. Oh yeah. Uh, you know, the the good flows out of the bad. The bad flows out of the good. Those those are are Robert Penn Warren's words. Mm-hmm. Now, when I say things like that to my undergraduates, <laughs> whoa, their heads spin and go, what in the world is he talking about? But I, I hope I'm. I hope I'm planting a seed. Oh,
1: they're out there. They're, they're think. It's a uh-huh. way Homer. They're thinking about it on the way home. <laughs> it's unpacking itself maybe, as maybe, they go through life. Yeah,
0: maybe when they get to be my age, <laughs> they'll you know finally realize. Oh, Doctor Perry said that. I, now I understand what he's saying. Oh yeah. So, uh, so
1: Mike. So again, the work of the commission. So I could see a value in this group getting together and doing just what you said but you're also called to make recommend so you're not you're not this is not just a process of, of <clears throat> discovery and understanding yeah. this yeah. is a process of we got to make recommendations and yeah. we have a deadline to make recommendations yeah. so so how do you begin to figure out where that settles and is there yeah. is there a line it goes up to and pulls back from or I, yeah. I'm just interested in in how that process worked
0: well the the Regents. President Livingstone and the regents made it very clear that the name Baylor was was off the table. Mm-hmm. And um
1: As far uh, as changing changing the name of change, the university. Yeah. Okay. Um
0: yeah. And, and we never really even considered that as as a possibility. Mm-hmm. But as far as everything else was concerned, uh the regents and the administration were wide open and they were very encouraging. Um and very grateful for you know what for the task that, that we took on. Yeah. And probably the most difficult um, conversations we had on the commission were about the concrete recommendations mm-hmm. that we would put forward. Yeah. And um, we did not, as far as I can remember, we did not agree on putting. Forward a recommendation, unless we agreed fully, one hundred percent. yeah. We wanted unanimous, mm. and of course, there are all kinds of shades of, of gray with regard to support or, uh, or you know, ambivalence or whatever. But we were we were in in firm agreement about the recommendations, and w- and we. You know, we put forward a series of recommendations of possibilities mm-hmm. for taking action. Uh, we, you know, we looked at at Founders Mall, which in, included uh, the Baylor statue and the two monuments to the other other two founders, uh, Tryon and Huckins, and. um the centennial marker, which included the stones, original stones from buildings yeah, at Baylor. Yeah, the, Bay the time and capsule them. there, yeah. The time yeah. capsule, yeah. yeah. And, um, uh, you know, there were, there were other, other things we, we looked at, um, on, on the, um, uh, Burleson Quadrangle, including, I mentioned the statue of, Burle- of Rufus Burleson, but there are also, uh, you know, several historical markers. Uh, Texas State Historical Commission markers that were, you know, put up about ten or twelve years ago, and and our dear friend Tom Charlton was the the prime mover in in having those uh, installed. Um, you know, my graduate students were, uh, you know, essential to doing the research, mm-hmm. to formulating the, the 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 verbiage on on the markers. Yeah and we had a very very elaborate, you know, ceremony one morning uh unveiling those those five, I believe five markers. Um and so, you know, we agreed that um um uh, those those Texas Historical Commission markers needed to be replaced. Um possibly, mm-hmm. possibly replaced with, with new, new words, new, you know, more, um, accurate, more mm-hmm. complete. Yeah. Um, more challenging they language. Say a little bit more fully about, yeah. who,
1: say, FL Carol was. Yeah.
0: Yeah. 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 And that we needed to put up, put up new, new memorials, new representations, new statues on, on Founders Mall and in, um, the quadrangle mm-hmm. we would probably want to rename the quadrangle and there were several uh ideas floated um including uh, the Baylor family quadrangle you know replacing the name burleson quadrangle with with Baylor family quadrangle and um and there, there of course, there's there's Independence. Yeah. The same. The same would ha- would happen at Independence, changing uh, signs, um, markers, interpretations, uh, Texas Historical Commission markers, um, and of course, make the Baylor experience for freshmen c- completely different. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, being very very explicit about the uh, the founding ba- founding of Baylor. Um, depending upon um, slaveholding and the cheap labor provided um, by enslaved persons, one thing we're trying to do, Stephen, is to uh, remove the anonymity of yeah. the, the enslaved people who who helped to um, to to bring Baylor um, uh, forward uh, during its its early years, and and so that research has been very difficult, but we're beginning to f- To find records in the uh, Washington County courthouse at Brenham, um, tax records, um, property records, um, uh, you know, wills and estates that name name slaves, and um, you know, but that will be a long, yeah. long and difficult process. And so we want we want to include the names. I- um, of as many enslaved people as possible on um, a series of of um, of markers there.
1: I, I see that as the most important work because yeah. I mean you could see this as just dealing with what are what's already there. Yeah. But it's the silences. Yeah. I, I think and they're yeah. they, they scream on Baylor's campus because there's no there's no representation there. Yeah. I know the uh, the uh, the recommendation of uh, Reverend Gilbert and Barbara Walker mm-hmm. uh, statues, mm-hmm. the first two African-American graduates of Baylor. Yep. yep. And, yep. and the, the yep. monument to, possible
0: monument to the enslaved that helped construct mm-hmm. Baylor and Independence. Mm-hmm. we we'll prob- we also made recommendations re- regarding the, the mace, mm-hmm. um, which is um, one thing that, that I mentioned very early on as, as being um, very, very problematic, uh, for me and others, other others caught on and and began to agree pretty strongly. It it's made up of uh, a sword uh, presented by President Andrew Jackson to R.E.B. Baylor's uh, older brother for in honor of his service during the War of eighteen twelve. The the sword a, as a symbol itself, a, a symbol of 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 war of, of, and of violence. Uh, bothered me uh, from the first time I saw it. And the the mace, uh, you know, dates from the Abner McCall administration in the 1960s. It includes uh, the Bader sword, but it also includes a walking stick owned by Rufus Burleson and another walking stick owned by um, Sam Houston, who was a very, very prominent uh, Baptist, very, Mm -hmm. very prominent. Supporter of Baylor, mm-hmm. he, he and his wife lived at Independence. They they sent their children as students to Baylor. Um, he was a slaveholder; he owned mm-hmm. he owned a dozen slaves, and and those, ha- as symbols, look look to me like as much weapons as anything else. Mm-hmm. An African American person looking at a cane carried by a walking a walking stick carried by a slaveholder would look at it in a very, very different way yeah. than, than you and I would. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the mace, we recommended that, that the mace probably should be retired yeah. and replaced by a different kind of mace. We also, you know, looked at the Founder's Medal, which, which features um, Judge Baylor very prominently, and we recommended that changes be made to the, mm-hmm. to the Founder's Medal.
1: And you know, just for those listening, the mace is carried out in front of official
0: functions. That's right. It's commencement. A, it's a yeah. sim, symbol of the authority of the regents yeah. to, to grant uh, degrees uh, upon graduation uh, mm-hmm. during, during the uh, commencement ceremonies mm-hmm. every spring, fall, and summer. Yeah.
1: One question I wanted to ask you, Mike. So there's the... So if we take 1845 through the Civil War, say that that 20-year period of of where Baylor is in a in a slave republic and in a slave state, and we think about what we do with that, mm-hmm. I'd like to ask the question about 1865 to the yeah. 1960s, yeah, where Baylor is a whites-only institution. Yeah, I mean, yeah. W- what are what are some of your thoughts on? I mean, what you do with that, because yeah. it, it uh, you know, I, we we can all see slavery as an, e- as mm-hmm. a mm-hmm. abhorrent evil. Mm-hmm. Jim Crow Baylor, what do you do with Jim Crow Baylor? What, what do you do with talking mm-hmm. about, mm-hmm. Um, I mean, this is within the lives of those that are still with us, you know?
0: Yeah. So. Yeah, that's, that's a, that's a great question. And um, we talked about that. A little bit on the commission, um, just just for the sake of context, um, you know. Let, let me say that not only was Baylor heavily dependent dependent upon slavery and slaveholders, but uh, Baylor was very very supportive of of the Confederacy during during the Civil War, and um, hundreds hundreds of of Baylor male students. Faculty members, led by the gung ho Rufus Burleson, uh, participated. He he was a Confederate chaplain. Uh, participated in 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 the Civil War on the on the side of the Confederacy. You know, so a, as a result, um, Baylor veterans, including Rufus Burleson, tended to be very very strongly in favor of the so-called lost cause. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, glorifying and paying almost religious homage to the memory of the Confederacy and and the Old South, you know, frankly. A kind of gone-with-the-wind attitude about about the Confederacy. And at the same time, uh, resisting Reconstruction the effort by african americans after the civil war uh together with people from the north and and the and the republican party to establish um uh equality mm-hmm. to uh, you know achieve full full rights of citizenship for african americans um Baylor white white leaders all over the south um supporting the Democratic Party, uh, resisted the power of the Republican Party, and most of all resisted the very notion and the effort by African Americans to achieve um, political, social, economic, uh, civic equality. And were very, very instrumental and crucial in, in helping defeat Reconstruction and uh, remove uh, civil rights um, from... The, the hands of African-Americans, taking away their votes, um, uh, give, uh, taking away their legal rights in court, uh, taking away their their property, uh, and, and, and putting them to work uh, as sharecroppers, um, sending them to prison, and forcing their labor through the convict lease system. Democrats, including Baptists and other evangelicals, were at the forefront mm-hmm. of making that happen. Yeah. And imposing, you know, as you call it, Jim Crow, very rigid, very rigid segregation at every level of society, um, reducing African-Americans to, to, to second-class citizenship, but even arguably third-class or fourth-class citizenship, making, making them as much as possible slaves again. The the pro-slavery apology survived the Civil War and flourished in the form of Jim Crow. Rigid segregation, discrimination, persecution, and if necessary, violence, in order to keep people of color, especially African Americans, but keep people of color generally in their place. And so Baylor was not only complicit in that process, Baylor, Baylor was, was crucial to helping sustain a rigidly, rigidly segregated society to impose, you know, what we call institutional racism. And so no black people were even considered, remotely considered, as um, possibly becoming Baylor students all the way up into the 1950s and uh in the 1960s uh, as as was the case at Baylor um, and so how do we how do we interpret that those long decades of 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 discrimination of segregation and persecution that's going to be very very difficult yeah. the work of the commission will be ongoing yeah we're not going to disband yeah after we submit our our recommendations for the for the monuments and other interpretations here in Waco and at Independence and on the website, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, uh, we're going to do the hard work of recognizing what was going on on campus involving Baylor employees mm-hmm. who were people of color. Yeah. Who were they? They're still largely anonymous. Yeah. How were they treated? Uh, what kind of labor were they forced to do? And you can you can bet one hundred percent that it was cheap labor, yeah. and that they were not probably not treated very well, or at best that they were treated in a very paternalistic fashion. Um, you know, a sense of subordination was imposed upon them. Mm-hmm. Um we're going to have to reach out to the community um and determine determine well, my goodness, how in the world did did the Baylor campus grow to be so large? yeah, who were the people and and where were they living?
1: That's right. we got to talk about urban renewal
0: We've got yeah. to talk about urban yeah. renewal and yeah. the fact that we you know removed um lots of black people mm-hmm. lots of of Hispanic people. Mm-hmm. Uh, and paid them not very, very much money mm-hmm. to abandon their houses and uh, and have them torn down so that, you know, as some people at the time referred to it, we could have our Louisiana purchase, you know, our, our, our cheap land all along uh, the Brazos River. Gave and us a frontier. So
1: gave us a frontier to right. settle and explore. Well, yeah, we had a yeah. kind of a manifest destiny, yeah.
0: Yeah. an attitude of manifest destiny. And so, um, yeah, we're, 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 we must be expansive. Yeah, in, in I our think
1: it's, um, I think it's really an important work. And I think it starts with that awareness that you were talking about earlier. I, mm-hmm. There's been several efforts to have the university offer history tours. And one iteration mm-hmm. I saw of it, they were going to address the docents in kind of nostalgic, kind of 1950s sort of outfits, you know, skirts and jackets and things mm-hmm. like that. And I just raised mm-hmm. the issue, mm-hmm. you're going to be presented to potential students that would not, yeah. they would not have been welcomed here in the era that you're depicting.
0: Right. You know. Right. It's, a right. Com- it's
1: complicated, we, but yeah. being aware of it, I think, yeah. is a, is a yeah. key part.
0: Let, let me say this before I forget it. Yeah. Uh, the uh, people of color on our commission struck me very strongly and I've I'd, I'd re- I'd realized this in the past. They struck me very strongly as feeling a sense of history living now. Mm. Um, you know, when, whenever, you know, I would listen to and con- converse with people of color, they would talk in the present tense yeah. about history. And position themselves in the past and and talk about we, our people, people who look like me, people who look like me aren't welcome at Baylor. And and, and I thought, well, what does that mean? Well and, and very quickly it dawned on me, mm-hmm. if I had lived at the time, before the Civil War, and long after, and all the way up to the present, frankly. Mm-hmm. People who look like me aren't necessarily welcome at Baylor. Mm. Um, and, and that is really the existential heart of the matter, making everyone welcome at Baylor, making sure that everyone feels comfortable and wanted. And necessary, frankly, necessary at Baylor. Baylor, in other words, we want to reach a place where we say Baylor can't be Baylor without as much diversity as we can possibly get Mm -hmm. for everybody, every shade of color, every kind of, of lifestyle, every kind of identity. And to treat one another in a biblical way as fully, fully welcome, fully equal, and fully loved. Mm -hmm. Um, And and so that's going to be an ongoing challenge. Yeah, Uh, I've I've
1: asked you about, as a historian, how you viewed these things. But as someone who's, uh, I I love doing oral history interviews with your father, who's, who's passed now. But was the development office at Baylor. Yeah. So we could do an episode on Tom Parish. Yeah. But, oh, yeah. but, but anyway, uh, as someone who has a long love for Baylor, yeah. How did this experience, you know, so you know, take your professional hat off a little bit, maybe yeah. put your green and gold hat on. Uh-huh. How did this maybe shift how you feel about Baylor yeah. and this place that's meant right. something to you for a long time?
0: Well, gratitude and respect first of all for the decision, the commitment by the administration and by the regents to be very thorough and very, very serious about this work. Um, Gratitude and respect and trust. Mm -hmm. Um, Appreciating the trust that that people in authority had for, for us as a commission mm-hmm. um and giving us the latitude to deliberate very very carefully and to uh communicate very honestly with one another it's it's really increased my appreciation for Baylor like nothing else mm. I've ever done yeah i you know. It's easy to say you love Baylor and you do. But but do you fully appreciate what Baylor is becoming and and what Baylor can be? Yeah. I think I think now I do. Yeah. If if Baylor is to become, you know, a so-called top-tier university um and to become a research one university as, you know, the regents and the administration and collectively the faculty want to do, then doing something like this is is absolutely necessary. Mm-hmm. This, this will define us yeah. as much as anything else. Yeah. Um, a, as top tier.
1: Well, and, and also uh, if we use our own metric, of what we're trying to be with our mission. If we want to be sincere about who we say we are as an institution, how could we not do this work?
0: And I got that message very, very strongly from uh, Dr. Livingstone and the Regents Mm -hmm. Um, early and often. um, If we're true to our mission, um, and the core of our mission being um, a responsibility, as, as a Christian institution, then, then we must, we must do this, mm-hmm. and we must do it on, in a way that puts us at the forefront yeah, of, of, and provides leadership, yeah. um, to the rest of the state, you know, to the rest of the South, and to the rest of the country, mm-hmm. as, as an institution of higher education, look what's, w- look what Baylor's doing. Yeah. That's what we need people to say. Exactly. Look, look at the courageous action Baylor has taken. Uh, look at the the risk of controversy that 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 Baylor is is taking. Um, and, and it and it will be a risk increasingly. I think it'll it'll be a risk. Um, um, and it must it must be a risk uh, in order for us to make a real difference. Yeah. You know. Um, you know, and this is tough stuff. You mentioned class earlier. How do we make this effort one that will help us overcome a, as a society and as an economy the growing gap in wealth and earning between um, white people generally, not all white people, but white people generally, and people of color particularly African-Americans, yeah. you know, changing a few statues, you know, removing a few plaques, reinterpreting things around here and there. What difference would yeah. it, it make? It's
1: the deeper work.
3: Yeah. 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 yeah.
0: How, how can we make a difference in the Waco community? Yeah. How can we provide, you know, scholarships yeah. for students who, who have, you know, come from families that have never been to college and they had no hope of coming to college? Yeah. No intention of coming to college and bring them to Baylor. Yeah, and 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 make a difference. Um, you know, in our in our community, especially mm-hmm. in in that regard. Yeah, uh, you you don't have to go far from a university campus in in any community, any city, to see people who are suffering, who you know who are suffering in the same way. Very often that slaves suffered. Mm-hmm. You know, who mm-hmm. provide. Cheap labor, yeah, and who should be um, lifted up and encouraged, and and given given the ability and the confidence to 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 to, to really compete, you know, in uh, in a way that that changes everything, mm-hmm. you know, that reverses this this great. Growing very disturbing. Alar- as, as far as the future of democracy is concerned, the the gap between, um, you know, the rich and poor. Yeah, we've got to do something about that.
1: Yeah, and it's even these issues of race we've been discussing. It's it's yeah. easier now for me to have those conversations with students than the class conversation. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. yeah, there, mm-hmm. there's there's plenty <laughs> there's yeah. plenty of work to to be done, and so oh yeah. Well, I, I, I really bit appreciate bit. I mean, when I approached you, I knew you would be um, frank just yeah. about the experience, both yeah. uh, professionally and personally, what it meant for you. So I appreciate you coming on and sharing it.
2: Cross the Brazos and Waco, Ryan hard and I'll make it by
1: Thanks for listening to the Waco History Podcast. Like what you heard? Subscribe, rate, and review our show on iTunes so we can reach more listeners. You can find show notes and info on every episode at wacohistorypodcast.com and more info on Waco's past at wacohistory.org. Our theme music, used with permission, is Cross the Brazos at Waco, performed by the late Billy Walker. For more info on Billy's music, go to billywalker.com. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.